Listen, if you're constantly tired of juggling all the business problems yourself and not having a sound individual to bounce your ideas off of the problems off of your generated solutions for less than what you're probably paying one of your part-time coaches, you literally could have a conversation with me daily, fuck weekly with me, with your staff. And then we get on a call monthly. I've got an app and a platform that I use, what do I call the bat phone that allows you to get in contact with me throughout the day. Literally, you can ping me and hit me up and let me know shit's going on. This is the situation. I need some assistance in making the right decision, and I'm there for you. This is what I do for gym owners. I do it for up to about 40 gyms at a given time, and I'm always graduating or getting fired, like graduating the gym owner or getting fired myself. I, you know, I've talked about this in pre-roll before. I like getting fired. I want to get fired. I don't want you to be stuck on the, the WTF tit. I want my gym owners to be self-sufficient, but there are times when you could use some assistance. That's why I don't do any contracts. Everything is month to month. You use me for as long as you need to use me, and then you fire me. And you can always hit me back up if another problem arises. But if you're in a position where you're like, fuck, man, I, I've got some money. I let you know for what I'm paying a part-time coach, sure, I'd love to have someone who knows this better than I do and can help me just make the smarter decisions faster. You can sit there and research it yourself and YouTube and watch all the videos and, and make, you know, six months of bad decisions, or we could have had a 10 minute conversation and you made the right one and moved on with the rest of your day, the rest of your business this year and got the shit done. You want to get done. If this interests you at all, please shoot me a DM over on WTF gym talk on Instagram. And I would love to chat with you. I'd love to just know what you got going on. See if we're a good fit. We can talk a little bit there. Um, guys, that's it. This is what I do. It's what I love doing. I love solving problems for gym owners. I like different problems. And I eventually, I love getting fired. I want to get fired so that you go on and do your fucking thing. And I'm glad I was able to be a part of it for that period of time. So if this resonates with you at all, please go ahead, shoot me a DM. Let's chat. Otherwise, enjoy the podcast. What is up, guys? It is Stu, and it is another episode of the What the Fuck Gym Talk podcast. And I have my man, Sean Hanquist who um, were recently, just recently connected uh, in 2022. We were both at a, a, a business owner summit event shindig, and that's how we, we firstly met. Didn't even get a chance to really jam together, but then we we did each other's podcasts. We developed a relationship, and I'm very happy to say now I'm a client of Sean's with uh, his wealth management and financial planning service uh, over at the Fit CFO. So when we all jammed on each other's podcast, we were talking very somewhat like Fit CFO. You guys have a very unique firm. You have the CPA service. You also then have connected the financial management and planning service. And, and I was so pumped. You came into such an interesting point in my life, Sean, because I had someone that was doing some financial planning for me at a very, at a, at a, a very long arm's length reach type scenario. Um, and I, you know, uh, an older gentleman was referred to me from my former business partner on the real estate side. And so it was kind of like, eh, it's, it's my buddy's guy. I'm going to use him. Right. But he was older, you know, he, and it's so funny. I told you one of my biggest concerns was that he didn't have a, a succession plan. And he literally, I kid you not, cause I'm still on his email list. He just retired three weeks ago. I meant to forward <laughs> you the email, but you know, after we had a call, like our podcast, man, I just, I just gelled so much with, with what you were saying that, uh, we went ahead and, and I'm very proud to say, uh, that, that I'm a client of yours now. And I've, I've really fucking enjoyed it, buddy. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah. This has been quite a role. We met probably back June, July last year, stayed in touch and, um, so happy to be on the podcast actually second time now. So yeah. super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is... and, uh, we met more or less, um, 
talking about the accounting side and the and the CPA side, and all of a sudden now we've just come full circle, and now we're working on the wealth management side. So it's super cool. I'm excited to work with you. You got a lot of working parts, so it makes my job fun. <laughs> it's you know it's interesting. Everyone, I always tell like the first the first thing I generally want people to outsource um, when doing some consulting with them is the the CPA side. I definitely want you to outsource that, guys. If, when your first thing you're going to outsource from a professional services standpoint, not the in house roles. Uh, but then when you get to a point and you're making money the you know, and, and for some of the audience here, this might be, this is kind of an aspirational conversation. You're looking forward to this time, or some of you guys, you're currently there, you're profitable. And then my next thing is like, okay, so what are we going to do with that money? Like this whole thing was make profit, make profit, make profit, of course, pay yourself. But like, what's the game plan? Cause five years, 10 years, 15 years goes by really, really quick. Um, I was fortunate enough to even without any advisement, like our financial planner, I, you know, I took the money I made in my gym and I obviously between a lot of hard, uh, hard work and some luck, uh, me and Ed were able to go and buy that building. And that that's created a, a very positive opportunity for me here in the future and, and some financial security, but even still, you know, uh, my business does well and I, I, I need to know what to do with that money. Right. And I, I could, you know, and I've always been kind of, oh, fuck it. I might just in invest in some index funds and let it sit and chill. But the more you and me talked and the more complicated I realized this scenario was and the more angles, like I looked at something and I saw one degree, like one, I was seeing one D you looked at it when we had a conversation, fucking three, five, six D. And I was like, okay, this is, this makes so much sense as to why. I want to work with somebody to to handle this for me. Sean, what is when you encounter when someone comes to you for financial advisement, at what stage in the business are they typically? Is it like they're doing X amount of revenue and you see a consistency right. there? Or is it a profit? Like talk to me about it as you know, as much or as much detail as you can, kind of the sure. avatar of someone that goes to the wealth management side of your firm. Sure. I would have to say usually the first engagement's around like fixing maybe a problem that maybe they realize they woke up and they're 35 or 40 years old and they have nothing in their retirement account, nothing saved. It's like, oh my goodness, like I thought we would have this done by now. I thought I'd be doing it myself and I haven't been. And maybe you had someone retire recently and they didn't ever accumulate the cash. So it's like, let's talk to a financial planner and start working on a plan. So I have to say that's usually the first step is someone has like a problem that needs to be fixed. I, I found uh, in my early days before I was in a position to do so, the thing that always made me think about this, even though I never made actual steps, I would I always try to be in like the, the least successful guy in the room, but I'd hang around my buddies who were well more better off than I was, and I heard them speak about stuff. Like that's back when I thought a 401k was a laser and like a Roth. I like I don't know what any of these things are. Like I, I'm so right. naive back then, and I'm like, fuck that. These guys, I know they're all doing well they talk about these things. I need to, at some point, be able to talk about these things as well. That was always like the first thing for me is my social, my ecosystem talked about. It. If you're, if you're listening to this right now, guys, and when you get together with your colleagues, your, uh, your ecosystem, your network, and nobody, they're just talking about the fucking game on the weekend and the same dumb shit. Like that's the stuff where it's always like, you might need to level that group up a little. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, the other avatars coming in is, we're scaling quickly in this industry, like coaches, nutrition coaches, gyms, like business coaches, you scale quickly. And all of a sudden you realize you have two, $300,000 of profits. And like, what the hell do I do with all this money? 
that is a, a lot of the questions I'm getting. And it's like, you could increase your lifestyle. You could start doing some strategies to save more money on taxes and put more money away for retirement. But it's more or less, what the heck do I do with all this money? And then we just come up with a game plan of, okay, yeah, like you did make $300,000 this year. Why don't we save 50,000 of it this year or a certain percentage of it? And then you go spend the rest and live the life that you want to live. And then it doesn't matter. You don't have a budget. You don't have to think about things. We know that we're being good stewards of our money because we're save, saving, let's say, 20% of our net income for our financial future. Sure. And, you know, for everyone listening, I want I don't want them to feel, and this is something I think I perceived as reality, which I shouldn't have. I wish I could go back in time. I perceive the reality is I had to have that kind of money. Like I had to have a hundred thousand dollars plus a profit in order to do, to give it to someone. Cause if I bring it to you, uh, like I always thought like, Oh, well I've got $8,000 in profit this year. I can let it sit in my bank of America business checking account, or I could take it to a guy to start doing something like, no, they're going to fucking laugh me out of the room. $8,000 buddy. What is this? Get this chump change out of here. And there are like some wealth management firms that do have minimums and things like that. But how would you recommend to someone who is starting small from like, yeah. hey, I have a small money. I did $3,000 in profit. I did $6,000 in profit. I did 10 yep. or something like that. What do you recommend from starting to set up from a wealth management perspective? What's the first place they should do with that thing they should do with that money? Yeah. So that's super cool. I'm glad you brought that up because I really think your first starting point would be creating a brokerage account. So a non-retirement account at like a a Vanguard or a Fidelity or a TD Ameritrade. Or explain just for anyone that's like, explain exactly what a brokerage account is for anyone who's like that they've heard it, but they're fuzzy on it. So the brokerage account is going to be an account that's not retired to a retirement account. So there's no rules or restrictions or penalties for taking the money in and out. And then that brokerage account is going to be able to house certain investments like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, exchange traded funds within that. So it's going to be a good place to start your savings journey. And the reason why I say a brokerage account is because there's a lot of freaking rules around IRAs and 401ks and when you can contribute, when you can't, you make too much money to contribute or you should go over here. So what I'm saying is maybe don't go down that path to start putting your money in that brokerage account. So it's liquid, you have access to it. And then when come tax time or something, you talk to your tax professional, they could give you the advice of, oh yeah, you can put 6,000 in your traditional IRA this year, or yeah, you can put 6,000 in your Roth because there are rules and some people make too much money. So like if you make over a hundred thousand dollars as a single person, you can't contribute to a Roth directly. A lot of people wouldn't know that. So I wouldn't want to say, go ahead and just go put your money in a Roth or a retirement account because there's rules. Start with the brokerage account then the money is there. And then you can always transfer that money into your retirement account when that time comes, when you and, get that advice. And that's where I look at it as like three card Monty. So if any of you guys have ever seen the street hustlers, right, they got the three cups upside down and they put a card inside of it or a ping pong ball and they move the three cups around really quick. And the ball always right. comes out in a different cup. That's kind of how uh, I look at a, like the handshake that financial planning and tax the, the CPA firm do. Right. Uh, and a lot of people yeah. know, so I've used uh, Insight Tax uh, as my CPA firm for a while. I'm using you as the wealth management. The thing I love is that you guys, I mean, I have you guys on joint emails. You guys work very well together. Profit First is a, is a common language you both speak. So yeah. I've 
uh, I, I'm very fortunate to just have two professionals in my corner that just work very well together, even though they technically would be competitors in this niche of fitness and they both have CPA things. Um, that was something I think that also really like just really confirmed I made the right move. I, I'm so glad I brought Sean in and it all works well with my current setup. But I watched the way you and uh, Briggs, John over at Insight, you know, the, 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 the strategy, like I'm sitting there, I put the email together and I want everyone listening to this. Cause this is what a, this is what a client wants, right? I don't know in the words of Ruth Langmore from uh, Ozarks. I don't know shit about fuck when it comes to this. And so I sit back in the email, I get John in there, I get Sean in there and I'm like, here's the scenario guys. Um, you know, this year, this past year, we did very well. So we had, we had more, you know, there's more of a tax burden going to be is the most amount of money in tax I was ever gonna have to pay. And you guys were able to combine strategies and were able to, you know, move, the, do the things that needed to be done. And I was able to save on taxes. And, um, and that was very, for me to just sit back in the backside of that email, and watch those exchanges go by and just do the small part I had to do. That was so rewarding yeah. for me as, as a client. And I, and I, and I appreciated the, uh, the playing well in the sandbox that you guys do. Well, and it just seemed like, nine times out of 10 or basically every email that we were on the same page. Sure. I mean, yeah. we had our different spins on it and we all equaled that and ended at the same um, position. But it's like when we reviewed um, the end of the year PLs, I was very familiar with their situation. He's familiar. And they're like, Oh, Hey, what about this do? And you email John and then it's fixed. It just worked really nice. So, and I appreciated John too. He played nicely with, with this relationship. And I think it freaking works. Awesome. Yeah, I, it, it really was. It's very, um, I, I was very pleased for that. And, I, you know, the one thing I, I too, and I, I've told people when you and me, when um, after the podcast and I reached out, I said, hey, you know, the financial planner guy, he old, whatever, I'm looking at, I'm, I'm in the market for a new guy. Can we talk? I, I, I counted, I'm pretty sure you had four or five Zoom meetings with me in which you took a gracious amount of time laying out what based on my financial situation, where I was, where, what I had done financially, what I had at my disposal, where I wanted to go. And I, I truly took so much, like, I was so impressed. Like I like to think of when my clients, I deliver a good client experience. I was so impressed with how much time you're willing to just take with me. And there was never a hard sales pitch. It was like, this is, this is essentially what I'd be recommending Stu. blah, blah, blah. I felt so comfortable in that. And uh, I, I saw my own client experience in that, that I was like, this, this is just the guy I want to work with. Now I got to imagine though, when you are potentially positioned, talking to a client, you are having the kind of frame up like, okay, your situation is this based on that. This is what I'd recommend. And there's a, a, a software product. You, it's, I believe it's elements. Yeah, yeah. And I love the way they've used the elemental chart to kind of break down for anyone here who's not very financially savvy. They've essentially taken it and they've broken it down in a way that, you know, a nine year old could understand. And that's me over here. And I'm like, oh, this I can look at this and this just makes so much sense. I love going in and looking at the dashboard and I like seeing that net worth go up and all that. It, um, yeah, you've got some really savvy, cool software suites at your disposal. And I've enjoyed I've enjoyed them. They haven't been cumbersome. And uh, they haven't made me feel like, what the fuck am I looking at? And I look at it and I'm like, oh, this is, this is simple. And I like just looking at that once a month, seeing numbers go up. It just, yep. it's very reassuring. It's pretty cool. Cause we're able to track your net worth over time. So we can see that quarter by quarter, year by year, and we can really dive in and it's just right at our fingertips. So I, it's super cool, but I wanted to circle back on 
the onboarding process and us working together because what made it really unique and what made that really special is you were willing to get financially naked right before we even engaged anything so i was able to show you what i could do for you based on all your financial information so it made it like very easy for us to move into the next step to next step analysis on your client now if i didn't have all that data i really couldn't show you what i could do for you sure like oh. it would just still be this all this that one percent guy that guy this much might manage my money that's all you would think about but when we were able to see all your financials we're able to, you know, like I said, and like you said, here's three or four different things that we can do right away that probably didn't even have anything to do with investment management. Yeah. No, hundred percent. And it's, you know, that, that is, I think a hard thing I used to, and a lot of owners can relate to this. When I first started my business and I, I was broke as fuck, I, uh, I, I used to go to the ATM back when people would go to the ATM and, you know, the ATM screen would always ask, would you like to see your balance? It asked you that question. <laughs> I never hit yes. I was so self-conscious and I wouldn't look at the numbers because I knew I didn't like what I saw. And it was yeah. one of the biggest mistakes I, I made back then was not forcing myself to get uncomfortable and accept that numbers might make you feel unsuccessful or like you've messed up or you're not doing well enough. But the nice thing about numbers, Henry Rollins, and, and dude, yeah, because you're, you're a fucking, you're a lifter. You get this. Henry Rollins has that quote, 200 pounds is always 200 pounds. The iron never lies to you. The numbers in your business don't fucking lie. What's men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. That's, and so that was, you know, that's what I've, I've come to love. My first iteration with that was when John and they, and them put me on profit first. And I yeah. forced myself to look at the numbers every single week, every Friday allocations, every Friday allocations. It's my favorite day of the week still, not because it's Friday. I still work. I get up at four 30 on Friday, Saturdays. It's because I like looking at the numbers, even when they're not great. It gives me, I can't, I, I don't get emotional anymore. I just look at it. The numbers are what the numbers are. Good numbers, great, cool. Bad numbers, all right. What do we got to do to fix it? And it just, it's it's almost freeing. Yeah, I think uh, clients that do spend time and understand their numbers, you eventually get it. Yeah. Uh, so, so often is when you hide behind the numbers and don't know what the actual real profits or the net cash flow of the business is. You're just dreaming and praying. You probably don't have a very good business at that point in time. Oh sure, no, hundred percent. What you know, um, I want to also give a lot of transparency to this whole thing, you know, um, as it, you know, as it relates to, uh, to my situation and like why this is so beneficial. Cause there's a lot of people that, well, I can turbo tax it. I can, whatever it may be for my CPA on the financial side, like, um, you know, so WTF did well this year. I think we ended up, uh, total, total income for WTF was like over 350 this year. And, mm -hmm. um, I have very, like, it's an online business. Uh, I forget what the margin is on it, um, but it, we do, it's it's good. Like, it's high 60s, low 70s. It's somewhere, that, it's a high in profit margin business. Right. That creates a very generally a taxable event with the IRS. And obviously, I want to, mm -hmm. the best, smartest people to help me pay as little as possible legally. But also, at the same time, like, I like you said, like I need to know, okay, so what can I do with this? And and I've got financial things coming up here that I need to have cash on hand for. And sure. so like when you and me are talking, you're making sure it's touchable. Like it's not stuck somewhere. Like it's like, oh, Stu, we put it in there and now you can't get it till you're 59 and a half or whatever, you know, yeah. whatever it may be. Walk me through kind of when you have clients that, you know, their, their business is doing well, they've got a good little uptick and they're sitting there. And like, if I didn't have you, I probably would have, 
I'd probably have done things with that money that would not have been, they would have been three to five year kind of project things, not right. five to 10 to 15 year things. And I think I, I like, yeah. I heard someone say it might be Alex from Mosey or someone's like this, the, the wealthiest people in the room think in these big time frames, these big spans yeah. of time. And I feel like when we make a lot of money or someone has a successful year, I feel like we short, like we, we can be short term with that. Yeah. And because there had been one thing that we could have jumped over, probably even some additional tax savings. But we all agreed that going after the tax savings this year was not necessarily the smartest thing to do for us. We did quite a bit, but there's a liquidity event potentially coming up this year that we need access to capital. And if we were just trying to save a buck on taxes, that capital would not have been available. So I feel like you just got you got to communicate. You have to have a plan of action. And it wasn't all about tax savings this year. It was about liquidity and access to capital for some things that are coming up. And that, that's how we designed it. Like we did is what we could to keep as much money in your pocket to be able to go after those. It, and that's, I think, really it. Like for the trainers out there, I, again, you, you, let's put it into a fitness perspective. And, you know, Sean, you compete in, uh, in, in bodybuilding. You, you have, you have coaches, correct? Yeah. So okay. uh, yes, I've worked with coaches and I do the classic physique. Okay. Classic physique. Like your coach, if he has you as a client versus a guy who's six foot 13 and 265, but like there's different strategies, just like any trainer right. or coach listening to this. If you'd ever do individual design or you write individualized programs for people not group class templates, it, it's all based on that, that person. And when I, you know, when we had our conversation, the thing you kept asking me, like, okay, well, what's the plan? Where does this money have to go? And if I'm not fully transparent with you, I'm only fucking myself. And yeah. I've got to be like, hey, there is this opportunity that I might need a bunch of cash to do another thing like this. And it's like, okay, well, it's a good thing. Cause if I wouldn't have told you that, and if you and John weren't aware, you would have maybe recommended to me, hey, spend this cash to avoid these taxes, which I would have. Yeah. But then guess what? I wouldn't have had all that cash in case right. I need him for this future thing. So it's just like, man, uh, you just kind of like, you know, anyone who is a coach has a client who maybe is sleeping like shit or they're, they're something else is going on. It's kind of interfering their training, but they don't tell the coach. And then the coach can't write the plan to adjust for it. It's very frustrating when you find the truth out later, you're only fucking yourself. Right. Right. And that's why we call it tax planning. Cause it's going to change every year. Stu's situation is going to change every year. So the next year we may go harder after tax savings. Yeah. And so come up, there was a, um, what was it? What do you typically, was it, uh, is it 20%? What do you recommend from a general savings perspective? So let's say someone takes yeah. home 10 grand. Are you recommending they invest two? What, what kind of percentages yeah. could just someone like who's listening to this start thinking of from their monthly take home uh, to a savings perspective? Because I heard that my favorite definition of wealth, wealth is essentially, it's not a number. It's a ratio of what you make versus what you spend. Yes. So if we can save a certain percentage of our revenue, our income, we're not going to have any financial worries down the road, right? So we just can't spend more than we make. Now, your ability to earn cash and grow that probably is going to help determine your wealth at the end of the day. Um, because as you, I like to use it as a percentage of your income, because as you make more money, then the percentage of the dollar amount is going to go up and increase with your lifestyle. So what I like to do is 20% of someone's net income. I want you to be able to save for your financial future, not 20% of your gross business, because then that'd be suffocating too much of the business. 
we need that to grow. We need to reinvest in that. But if you have $300,000 of net profits after you've paid all your business expenses, we should find a way to try to save 60 grand. Yep. And it doesn't have to go on to, into retirement accounts. It doesn't all have to go into brokerage accounts. Maybe it's going into real estate. Maybe it's going to other avenues, but it's not going to your lifestyle. Yeah. Now, my... uh with when we take a look at my breakdown of my net worth and all that, a lot of that is tied up in the commercial real estate side, right? Mm -hmm. So, which are probably a little bit more than maybe most clients that kind of fit my avatar, right? That's something maybe some yeah. people get into some residential stuff and things like that. Um, for someone, for the average individual, what what's generally that pie chart kind of look like? If you had to give some some you know random some you know general numbers to it, do you like you know out of your whole net worth and here I want X amount to be in stocks bonds and, and you know that I want some of this to be in real estate. What does that kind of look like? Yeah, that is a very good question. And I would have to say there's probably not a perfect answer to that because so many people um, have different preferences and they have different expertise, right? Okay. So like you have a lot more expertise in real estate. So I'd be a lot more comfortable with you carrying a higher percentage of your net worth in real estate versus say myself that doesn't quite have that experience. Sure. Uh, so, so let's say, yeah, yeah that's, so Let's do like, so let's just do someone like, let's do this, let's do this. Like, for example, a uh, 37 year old gym owner, um, you know, uh, has not no, he has no real experience in anything in either stocks, bonds, funds, or real estate or whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. And he is doing very well. And he wants to put this in a well-diversified portfolio. What would that maybe look like? So I would probably start with um, something that's passive because I feel like we have our main business and we don't want to lose focus or be distracted initially. So let's build that outside of the business, that initial um, savings account investments in the markets, right? And once that is established and you have a certain um, dollar amount in there, then we want to start moving into other diversified assets because you become maybe um, interested in real estate. Right. And then we kind of go down the real estate market and that's completely fine, but we definitely need diversification because I wouldn't want 20% of your net income going all into real estate because what happens if the real estate market comes down, you have leverage on the loans. Now all of a sudden you're kind of in a, in a bad position cash yeah. flow wise. So that's where I like having some in the markets because you could have money to maybe offset the bank payments if the real estate market got bad at that point in time. So there's definitely not a perfect ratio of so much in real estate, so much in cash, so much in the markets, but you need a little bit of both so you can handle the ups and downs because all markets are cyclical. Sure. The real estate sure. market's going to be good for 10 years and they might have a shit show for two. We need yeah. to be able to last that two years. It's so one thing again. I I didn't have any money in our last financial crisis of 08. Like I was still, I was in college. I was you know buying thirty packs of fucking Natty Light for ten dollars. Like that that was my that was my financial situation. Um, but when I maybe it's just me being naive. When I hear people you know talk about market downturns and oh my god the stock market just I. I guess maybe because I'm not a short-term or speculative investor, I don't, I don't, I don't think like that. But it's like, well, yeah, it's got to have a downturn. Like it has to go down, right. but it's always historically, forever and ever, is up and to the right. It's always up and to the right. Now that's yep. real estate, that's the stock market. It's always up and to the right. So, do you have clients? 
that are hearing words like recession, inflation, um, you know, all this stuff, you know, you know bubbles, and they want to pull money out because they're afraid of bad times. And if so, what's the motivation? Be like, well, well yeah, yeah, technically at some point you're going to log into your dashboard and it's going to show less money than what you initially started with. Yeah. But that's guaranteed. Like I swear to my kid's life, I promise that will happen. But when it comes back, it always comes back stronger. It's never not right. done that. Right. So I think that kind of goes back to when we we're talking about the real estate and the and the, the stock market for that that example of a 37-year-old gym owner. Like kind of you have to dive in more to what kind of risk tolerance you have as an individual. Because if you know that you're not going to be able to stomach the downturns in the market, you maybe shouldn't invest your money there. So we kind of have to figure out what is your risk tolerance to begin with? Because you and I both know the stock market out of 10 years, is going to be up seven of them, but three of the years, it's going to punch you in the fucking face. Yeah. You have to be able to understand if you can tolerate that. So before you even enter into the markets. But talk to me about the punch. Cause it's like, like I ask people like, tell me the pain you feel. Cause it's not like that money, like, yes, the money has go, but it's not like, you had it, it was in your brokerage account. Right. You weren't touching, you right. weren't using it. It was just meant to sit there. It was a sit and hold kind of thing. Now, again, the only time I see this is like, let's say again, you've accumulated enough um, wealth in your portfolio that you could even live off some dividends and things of that nature. Right. And the stock market has a downtick. And now if that was your sole concept of what you were going to be living off of the returns of your investments, right. that I can understand. But for most people like, oh man, the stock, like I've heard that from, I, I can't even tell you how many of my buddies are like, oh, the stock market is punching me in the face. I'm like, were you actively touching the money? Then how is it any different? Just the dad, just don't look at your dashboard for 36 months. Like if <laughs> money if that, becomes it becomes emotional. It is, yeah. does, especially when the stakes get bigger. Sure. And, and when you even get closer to retirement, like it's just emotional. And and that's where one thing when people are managing their own nest egg, I, I had a client just roll over uh, over a million dollars. And um, last year they went to cash just because they were freaking out with the markets. Now we got to figure out, you know, how do we get them back into the market over time? Because they're going to have a 30 year retirement yet. They're going to have to have some kind of rate of return. So when the stakes get bigger, I feel like people get more emotionally attached, especially when they're managing their own money and they don't have a partner um, in it with them, kind of walking through the plan, walking through the concept of, okay, yes, the market's down 24% last year. Are you going to be spending the money? No. Do you have two or three years of cash in your bank account? Yes. So I guess we just walk through step by step. Okay, yeah, maybe I'm not that worried about it. Yeah, the market historically does come up, but I just I worry about when the the market crashes 20% and you hear it in the news, you hear it in the market. It's like that stuff's always going to be there. Like especially when it's very volatile, the emotional side's going to come up. Yeah, and, and for everyone, I mean, again, I wasn't actively like gym owner in 2008 and 9. But I certainly, once I became, I, I, you go back and look at the 08 or 09, the fitness industry got like, it is but the flesh wound. Like the fitness mm -hmm. industry and self-care, self-improvement industries generally do okay. They do fine in recessions. Like, and here's the thing is COVID, like anyone who's still standing, like your business literally went to zero. The government took it to zero in a recession. Your business doesn't go to zero. 
right? Like you are going to be fine. There's going to be a clientele that was that they were the bottom 20%, bottom 30% of your, uh, your overall membership base that were, you know, it was kind of a stretch for them anyway. Yes, they will cancel, but I promise you more often than not, you're going to be okay, especially in the fitness industry. Cause it's just one of those endeavors that is proven that it, it consumes personal self, like how people look and, and how they feel generally consumes disposable income, even when it's very tight. And, and I'm like, yeah. you're, you're fine. Trust me. You're COVID tested. I think COVID was now just such a great training camp for people to run lean, run, run mean, reform. Yeah. yeah. That's super cool. But, you know, I just think it, when I do work with people and we do design the plans, we are talking about this before it happens. I think that is where we win is making sure that you know what you're getting into. And we know over the next 10 years, your portfolio may go down 10, 20, 30%. Are you okay with that? And just talking through it before the emotion hits. So then you can remind them that, Hey, we talked about this. This was going to happen. We have this nest egg over here. That's not tied to the market. You're fine. And then usually that eases the conversation and it moves on. Yeah. I just, I just never understood the psychology of you're right. It's, it's an emotional thing. Like people who might, freak out with the money that they have invested in the stock market, even though they're not planning on pulling it out anytime soon. It's like the guy at the baseball game, game three of the season, who's fucking flipping out when they lose like, bro, it's baseball. Like there's going to be 130, however many more games left, like relax. What are we, what are we freaking out about? Um, I want to get your opinion. So recently I had uh Sean Ryder on the podcast and Sean, has uh he's gone all in on his investment vehicle, which are he is overfunding uh whole life insurance policies. And um, and, you know, I I'm not sure you had a chance to listen to that, to listen to that podcast uh or yeah. you you get to just because I know you had a, you had the gentleman on talking about insurance policies as well. Yeah. What is your thoughts? You know, and even um, Coach Harbaugh over at uh Michigan, like that's how he opted to formulate his contract to get paid was in whole life uh overfunded cat, you know. Um, life insurance policies. What are your thoughts of that as an investment vehicle and the kind of infinite okay. banking concept? Okay. So I think where we could go with this to kind of paint a picture for the listeners of maybe talking about the risk uh, spectrum. Let's talk about the risk spectrum here of at different asset classes. And then that might be able to answer your question. So let's look at three asset classes right now. Let's look at real estate, and let's look at stocks and let's look at insurance. So the number one performing asset class over the last hundred years, we all know is real estate, right? It's freaking been the best, like, but why is it the best? It's also the riskiest. It's something that you are taking out loans. You're getting leverage, right? And those bank notes, they have to be paid back in bad economic times. So you have more risk involved with real estate. And then also a lot of the times you're very active in the real estate. So you should expect a higher rate of return and for that risk that you're taking on. And I'll tell you in my real estate ventures, it's probably some of the best investments I've ever made. But when I think of real estate, I think of me with a shovel in my hand, scooping shit out of a basement because my renter didn't let out their dog. There's a lot of fucking hard work when it comes to real estate. So that is my number one asset class. If you want to probably get the most return that historically, I'm talking historically, that's where it's at. Number two asset class would be like the markets, stock markets. Seven out of 10 years, like we're talking, you're going to make money. 
Three out of 10, you're going to get punched in the face. But over time, you're going to get rewarded 8 to 10% return for taking on that risk. And it's a less of a probably return than real estate, in my opinion, because it's more of a passive investment. Like Stu hires me, I'm doing his investments. He doesn't really have to think about it rather than meet with Sean a couple of times a year to talk about it. So you can't expect that same amount of return. Next is insurance. So insurance, what is insurance? Insurance is taking the risk off of you and put it on the insurance company and the insurance company is going to provide you a guarantee. So if someone's providing you a guarantee, they're taking all the risk off the table. You probably can't expect the same rate of return if there's no risk involved. Okay. So you kind of understand the different amounts of risk that you're taking on. And then that'd probably help explain long-term type of returns. Got it. And, you know, my big thing when I, when I was talking with Sean about, um, about the insurance, you know, it was, you know, there, you know, uh, you know, you buy a, a whole life uh, insurance policy, right? You overfund it. The yep. amount that you have established as your death benefit is there. And then if you overfund it, you can borrow against it at nine for at 90%. So it's kind of like, you're taking a loan against your own money. And Sean had a, he, he, he walked me through that whole thing. I can't, I don't want to recite it and butcher it as bad as, you know, and mess up the whole thing. Um, but the, you know, there was, you know, uh, you know, the, then they take, you know, cause the, that obviously the insurance company isn't just sitting on all the cash, they're investing it. You're making a 6% return on that. It was, um, you know, it, it was very interesting. I, I guess my yeah. thing is, do you see people go all in on stuff like that or real estate? I mean, obviously your job is to, is to make sure there's balance in the portfolio, but what, what are your thoughts when someone like finds an instrument and they're like, you know what? I like this. I know this. I know it really yeah. well. And Sean has definitely obviously done his research on it. He's taken his series set, whatever he, he needs to, to be able insurance to be, license, you know, yeah. the yeah, insurance license broker. Um, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? And going all in, if that's like, if you're like, this is the thing I know, I'm just going to stick with this. Cause I mean, right. You said yeah. like, if I, if I got into commercial real estate earlier, I might've just been like, I'm just doing, I'm just going to let commercial real estate be my thing. Right. I'm right. going to just dirt always appreciates. I feel confident with it, whatever it is. What, what are your thoughts on kind of going all in on one bucket? Yep. So what I do, I do want to break down life insurance and that concept later, but to kind of answer your question, some data out there, 55% of like 55 to 65 year olds don't even have a retirement account. The 55 to 65 year old range, the median retirement savings is like 93,000. I think the average is around 200,000. That's only a couple years of income in retirement. So what I'm getting at is we just have a bigger problem out there and it's people not saving enough money. So our concept that you and I were talking about earlier, if you save 20% of your net income and you put it in life insurance, you put it in real estate, you put it in the markets, you're probably never going to have a financial worry in your life. You're going to be taken care of because you've saved and spent less than you made. So I obviously the financial planner in me wants you to have diversification. Yeah. But if you went all in on something and you were saving that percentage of your income, you're never gonna have to worry no matter what product, what service, what direction you go, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Cause you're making smart decisions. It's, um, it's interesting savings, especially in the early stages for a gym owner, 
Um, and I, again, I guess I could probably say most small business owners, most of us start bootstrapped. We start uh, with either maybe a small loan or our own savings, or we truly do. Like we figured we DIY this thing from the jump and profit comes in. And the first place our go, our brain goes to is reinvestment in the business. Mm-hmm. Fitness is one of those things where in my opinion, we reinvest far too much in things like equipment and things that don't matter. It, like, you know, I go and I look, I look at an expense line uh, on somebody's um, and somebody's QuickBooks from year one, two or three in the business. And then maybe they're at year six. It's, it's, it's staggering the expenses and the things I always go to is like, okay, we're going to reinvest in the business people, staff, right? That that's the thing that frees right. you without those, you got golden handcuffs on essentially. Um, but, you know, we do see, uh, I, I unfortunately uh, start working with somebody who on average is re- reinvesting ten to $15,000 a year in equipment. It's like, there's no way you need to do that every single, like it's, it's essentially like a one-time thing. Dumbbells rarely break. Like, honestly, there's really, especially in this functional fitness barbell dumbbell world, um, it's one thing if you're a health club owner and you got a, a pre-core treadmill breaking down every eight months, I get that. But um, yeah. I, I look at that, I'm like, that's just what you, you the opportunity for you to set yourself up long-term, you are just squandering by reinvesting back into the business like that mm-hmm. in these horrible assets, like equipment and things that like, right. oh, well, but the, the clients really, we have 55s and we have 65 pound dumbbells, but if we had some 60s, there'd be some amazing fitness that we could really get into. I'm like, bro, like, this is just, this is not a thing. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You're, if you want to buy toys, just fucking say it. Just be honest. It's like buying shit, Stu. How do you- uh, Dude, I remember, I remember I bought a $20,000 hydro massage bed for my gym that had no business <laughs> being in there. <laughs> It's like when the tan the tanning salons back in the fucking oh, yeah. the 90s, right? We always put tanning salons in gyms back then. You get the girls to come in, buy a tanning, and then for 10 bucks more, I'd upsell them on a gym membership. Why so not how- add a hydro bed? Yeah, add a, yeah, add a hydro bed. Um, that, but that's the sauna and cold plunge of today. It's like, it's the, you oh, know, okay. that's that's the sauna and cold plunge. Um, God, that amount of gym owners that I'm like, should I got a great idea, Stu? I'm like, if you fucking pitch me on you buying a sauna or a cold plunge for your gym, Right. One, you're going to do a co-ed sauna and just have a hot fuck box in the corner of the gym. Like, what are you talking about? Like, this is the worst idea I've ever heard. Uh, But let's go back to savings. How do you have conversation? Because money is very personal. They work their ass off to make the money. And then sometimes, and this is where I sometimes I kind of overstep and I think my personality just doesn't care as much. But like having that conversation with somebody like, hey. Ah, the money you're spending, whether it's lifestyle or quote unquote reinvestment, the business, I think it's misdirected or as your advisor, I think I should like, how do you have that conversation? It's gotta be a difficult thing to have. Yeah. And like you said, you mentioned the elements, I kind of bring up the software and I kind of show them and they can visually see it. And then it comes real for some reason when you, when you see that, but there is something out there, man, that it takes a minimal amount of money to be happy. I don't know what the the old study was like 75,000 or 90,000. I don't know if it's adjusted for inflation, but after that amount of money, it doesn't really get you happiness. So I know there's a certain amount of money someone needs to bring home for a certain lifestyle. But once you have that lifestyle met, that's when we need to have the conversation of where is your paycheck going to come when you can no longer work? And it kind of just hits them in the face. Like, I don't know where it's going to come from. Well, that's where we need to start now 
for your financial future because there's going to be a day that's going to happen. And just start that conversation. Just show up, you know, the numbers. Cause like you said, numbers don't lie and then they can see it. Yeah. No, I, I hundred percent. It's uh, and that's one thing I like about elements and, um, and anything like you're right. It's whenever you don't want to be the bad guy, it's kind of like, just, can I show them a visual that yeah. makes someone realize like, Oh, I'm the fucking idiot. I get it. Like it just, it instantly makes them look inward at themselves. And that's, you know, beneficial it, you know, um, there's a great account I, I follow. It's called a uh, personal finance club. This goofy guy named Jeremy. Anyway, he he's not a financial planner, but he is really great practical, like financial advice. And uh, my girlfriend every year, she wants to do, she wants to get a real Christmas tree. And I fucking hate real Christmas. I live in a townhouse. So we have to take it up two flights of stairs, pine needles everywhere, scratch up the walls. I fucking hate it. Right. And I, I'm just a, a Scrooge of Christmas. Anyway. So like, I'm like, we're getting a fake one. And I looked at something like that, like a Christmas tree. I don't know if anyone's checked the prices of Christmas trees recently. They used to be 10 bucks a foot. That's like the average price for a Christmas tree. I think we're paying like 15 bucks a foot. I don't know if there's a supply chain shortage of fucking Christmas trees, but literally we're just running the math and it's like, okay, uh, we buy a, a, a fake one for 250. We reinvest the extra 80 bucks or whatever a year I spend on this goddamn Christmas tree. And, and fucking, in, but you know, put it, even if you put it in a, in the S and P, in 40 years, I've got a hundred thousand dollars. You know what? The other yeah. version of me wouldn't, I'd have 50 dead trees <laughs> that I had to drag and drag out of my house but, again. Uh, but uh, go with that a little bit further. Yeah. Some of the best success I've had with people starting to save money and, and not like having that lifestyle creep is just starting the automation process. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So it's like, we look at 2022 taxes and you made a hundred thousand dollars. Let's just say, um, let's automate $20,000 this year. You're not, you're making more money now than you did last year. You're not even going to feel it being gone. And it's like, it's not even there. And all of a sudden they're building up a huge nest egg without them having to worry about it. Because sure. if we wait for lump sums and chunks of money here and there, and then it becomes bigger amounts of money, then it becomes more emotional to make that contribution. Yeah. When you do, um, like when you, like, like my accounts and stuff like that, things that are in, you know, uh, any of the funds and that, and that you put it in like auto reinvestment. So like when there's a dividend and you've made some on it, you know, just it reinvest it back into it. Or do you do that? How does that look? Yeah. So the dividends, we have it reinvested. And then as you add money, we go ahead and just rebalance the whole account. So got it. if, if an, an investment's up or down, we're going to rebalance to its certain allocation percentage every time you add to that account. Got it. That way, that, that way the overall game plan doesn't get skewed over time. Right. Right. And then the beauty about having someone there that's managing your money on those rebalances and, and potentially taking advantage of segments of the market of like COVID when it was down 20, 30%, it would have been very beneficial to rebalance your position at that point in time, add back to your stocks. So that when the market came way back, then you were on top of it. You had more stocks for when it came back or even add in money when it was down, because then it, the fact, you know, you buy more shares at that point in time. So, sure. just, so you can manually hit the rebalance button and um, it doesn't have to be monthly is what I'm saying is you have discretion over when you want to rebalance and there's certain times in the market can be beneficial to go ahead and do that. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And it's, I think a lot of people just like, this is the stuff that just like, they're like, I just don't understand it. Right. Like, and it, mm -hmm. Is there, have you encountered, and for someone who's maybe not in a position to, to, you know, to hire someone like yourself right away, or is, like, 
is there, but like, what's the best, like basic financial planning book you've ever read? Or like, is there a resource or a YouTuber who really has it fucking nailed down or what are just some basic, I mean, obviously you guys, your podcast is absolutely great. I always point right. people there. Um, if someone's like, okay, I want to self-educate myself. So when I get on the call with Sean, I don't feel like I'm getting like, you know, I like, I feel like in the beta position. Cause I know nothing like where should someone start yeah. from a just financial uh, hygiene perspective. Do you have any resources you would recommend? Um, the best resources, I can't really say that, Hey, I got the perfect one, but a lot of times your big brokerage firms, like your TD Ameritrade, your Vanguard, your Fidelities, you can log in and they have a lot of great data on the particular accounts they offer, you know, how much you can contribute to them. So that would be a good starting point is just going there. Um, it's, it's probably going to where you're going to start opening your first account anyways. So they'll provide you a lot of good information on what the particular accounts are. So maybe start there. And then obviously there's a lot of good people out there on social media, but a lot of times you don't know their the qualifications is the problem. And then another downside is a lot of it's like the content is out there is like one, trying to be one size fits all. And the problem is, is everybody's situation is different. Yeah, no, I mean, I absolutely. And it's, it's, it's funny because uh, some people read like uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, right? Kiyosaki, yeah. and like, and eventually, like that. yeah, and that they that takes them down a very interesting, especially real estate paths and things like that. Um, other people, uh, you know, might get into. I'm trying to think of who else is popping in my head right now. You, you might get into someone else's school of thought, like like with Sean with the the insurance stuff, and just something grabs you, right? There's a school, a certain school of thought of how to do something, and. I feel like a lot of people will follow a lot of different pieces of financial advice and ultimately maybe all of them end up at a similar spot for the, for the most part, because ultimately it just, it comes down to a couple of things like spend less than you make. Number one, that's like the most yes. basic, right. And, and don't live like there are people that, I mean, you, we've all heard the phrase uh, house broke, bought a house that was marginally yeah. like at the very top end of their budget. And then you go there and they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll get the couch and the dining room table furniture when we can afford it or whatever it may right. be. Or you see that with weddings, like the amount of people, like when I look at bad investments, it's like, you know, a wedding, like these things that are just like, holy shit, what you could have done with $40,000 with the beauty of compounding interest, right. right. Over the course of, you know, 30 years, it's actually incredible that you're going to look back on that party and really wish you would have done that. Like yeah. instead, our biggest, our biggest assets, the ability to make money. And then what you do with that money is going to be the result in the end. So the more you can save of it, cool. But I'm a big believer. Like I spent my twenties and thirties, like basically doing nothing fun, working my ass off, saving every penny. Um, and that wasn't the right way either. I feel like you have to find something that can work with your lifestyle and save enough and have enough time involved that you don't have to be miserable. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. There was just a point that I know I personally was working too much, you know, a Scrooge with my money and it created unhappiness. Right. It didn't, all the money in the world didn't matter at that point in time. So I don't know what the light bulb switch was for me, but my mid thirties, I started like, I got to live a little bit. So that's where I feel like I don't want someone to try to save 50% of their income because then you're just gonna be miserable. Maybe you start at 5%, 10%, but I just know when I've studied a lot, that 20% number, you're going to have more money than you probably ever know what to do with. 
Which, um, for someone I want to leave with a, and with a, a real tactical piece, what brokerage accounts or like, because, because then they're all essentially do the same thing. You essentially have access to all the same stocks, bonds, uh, index funds, all that. Which one have you found from an interface, from like a usability perspective? Because a lot of people, this is scary for them to venture down that route. What, what do you recommend? I think Vanguard is really good. I think they have a lot of good funds, um, especially if you're not going to be hiring someone. I would probably go out and just buy a, a like a target date retirement fund just to get started. Um, they're low cost, you know, type of index type funds that are going to be diversified. And it's not like you're going to go just put all your money in the S&P 500. You're going to buy probably 12 funds inside that target date retirement fund. And, that, and it just takes care of itself. So if you're going to retire in 2050, uh, just say that's the age you're going to be 60 years old or 65 years old, like a projected retirement, go buy the target date 2050 fund and that fund will take care of itself. And it'll be more of an index, cheaper investment option that you don't kind of just sit it and forget it. And then when the stakes get higher, you got more working parts. Now you need to have some tax moves. You need some, I guess, more oversight. Then that's when you can start hiring and looking at financial planners to work one-on-one -on -one with. Got it. I, I think that's great advice because a lot of people, again, I think it's always best like someone's like, should I get a CPA right now? I'm like, well, go and do QuickBooks first. Sign up for QuickBooks, do your own reconciliations, um, and then you know export that to TurboTax and, and do it yourself, right? And you'll fuck up, uh, maybe, hopefully you don't, but I mean, like you're going to have some kind of growing pains or some like, oh, I wish I would have known this. And you got 70% of the way there or whatever it may be. And then it just positions you. So you have a better perspective as to working with somebody and why, why you do that. I, there right. is a sense uh, when you have, when you're in a financial position, there is uh, like, you're willing to pay for the sense of security of to be hands off, you yes. know, involved enough to, to not be ignorant and not be an absentee uh, custodian of your own money. But at the same time, you know, um, it's one less, it's a one less stressful thing. I, I mean, like for anyone who's even done the QuickBooks, imagine we've all done this. You went three weeks without reconciling your accounts. Like, oh fuck, right. I gotta go through three weeks of bank statements and do that whole process. That's a pain in the ass. Well, you know, it's it's just a, the bigger stakes, like you said, like for example, I ran into a, just a, a new client. I brought him on board because I found this is um, she contributed um, like 60,000 to her 401k, solo 401k last year because the contribution limits were 61,000, but didn't realize that she was an S corp and you only can do a certain amount, a percentage of up to your salary. And she was keeping her salary pretty low. And if we wouldn't have caught that and took that money out of that account down the road, that could have disqualified the overall 401k plan and all that money would have been taxable that year. So wow. when the stakes get higher, that's when it start time to see a financial professional. Sean, if anyone is, uh, they want to have a conversation with you, learn more about it, they've got questions, they are maybe in a position where they want to uh, potentially work with a financial planner, how do they best get in touch with you? Yeah, so fitcfo.com, the website, social media, fitcfo. Um, go to, I think I'd go to fitcfo slash, or fitcfo.com slash contact. You're going to get in touch with my wife, Amanda. And I think that would be a good starting point because she can see if you'd be a good fit for the CFO or accounting services. And then also she could see if you're a good fit to work with me one-on-one -on, -one on the wealth management side of things. So fitcfo.com slash contact. And you guys can follow along on Instagram. It's also at fitcfo, correct? Yes, at fitcfo, yep. 
Awesome, brother. Listen, uh, again, I, uh, I'm very, uh, very happy to have my stuff in your hands. I, I, I'm enjoying working with you. Um, and uh, yeah, man, I'm glad our, I'm glad our paths crossed in, uh, in Nashville. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, dude. Appreciate it. Always, dude. Always. Thank you. Um, You're good. Go ahead. I'm just going to uh, yeah. So we just didn't uh, get a GM too much, but I'd be happy to talk 5, 